welcome back to How to Save the Planet. It's your favourite climate campaigner, Mona over here. And we're back again with Fran. Fran, say hi to the people. Hey, people. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> yeah, really well, thanks. Uh, you know, what is it, week 70-12 of lockdown? Yeah, 7-11, um, yeah. Normal, yeah. Definitely. But environmental news, environmental updates keeps on happening. The, the climate crisis hasn't gone away. And I'm, I don't know if you'd seen, but there's been an update on the Dakota Access Pipeline in the US, which is an oil pipeline. Um, this is a topic that's been bubbling along for years. It's had, it's had some celebrities, you know, join uh, some really strong resistance from indigenous nations, uh, which the pipeline crosses. Um, the, there are several concerns around the pipeline, you know, the most obvious being it's oil, mm. that, that the indigenous nations weren't properly consulted uh, on the development of it and that the pipeline itself runs underneath um, a lake. So it affects water access and there's a fear of spill and all of this sort of stuff. So at the time of recording, the news that's come out is now that the pipeline is still piping oil but that it's uh, due to be under a new environmental review so that's okay. soon so you know fingers crossed there's a glimmer of hope yeah fingers crossed that you know the people who you know live on the land and, and it's their land are able to have a say in what happens to it so I really hope the outcome of that is is one that works for communities Definitely. It's so important to have that consultation. You know, at Friends of the Earth, we work on on planning documents and and, um, and helping local groups to exactly that same thing, to really participate in the consultation of what's going on in their area. Um, and speaking of the UK, you know, close to home, and uh, the UK government recently announced what their budget looks like for the first stages of recovering for the impacts of coronavirus. It seemed pretty mixed, Mona, but what were your key takeaways? Yeah, so... Many would have seen that the Chancellor basically gave his, um, what they're calling phase two, so jobs. Um, and they did have some green announcements in there. So they had a three billion pot of money for kind of homes and, and public buildings um, and using it to like give people kind of almost these vouchers where they can go um, and make their homes more efficient. So 5,000 pounds for homeowners. And then if, for those kind of on lower incomes, it can go up to 10,000 as well. Um, mm-hmm. So the governments have said it, this will be around um, insulating around you know six hundred fifty thousand homes and creating one hundred and forty thousand jobs, but the real problem here, Fran, is you know this is kind of funding only for one year, um, and it's got to be it's got to have you know years and years of investment um mm. and it can't just be you know our government can't be you know putting a pot of money here and then spending you know 27 billion on you know roads that are going to pollute, pollute the environment um and i don't know if you're going to be surprised to hear this but you know germany spending you know over 30 billion on climate france has pledged 13.5 billion on climate so you know 3 billion obviously it's a start but we're a long way to go from the green recovery we need yeah, definitely. When you compare it to that twenty-seven billion on roads alone, it's just depressing, isn't it? It's poultry. Yeah, it just totally eclipses it. And I just think, yeah, I, I just don't think in, in one breath the government can say they're doing, you know, to build back better or build back greener, and then literally invest in the things that are doing the opposite to that. Yeah, it definitely it fe- feels tokenistic, doesn't it? But um, no, exactly. Want to tell me a bit about who we're who we're talking to today? 
Yeah, I mean, speaking about working with world leaders and, and governments, our, our guest today is well experienced in how to do that. So we've got Cassie Flynn, who's the strategic advisor on climate change, um, and she works in the executive office of the United Nations Development Programme, so the UNDP. And she really speaks to people of you know across all levels on climate, so from the world leaders to the activists. Um, and she's joined us today to give us a bit of insight in how to have those really difficult but important conversations on 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 the climate crisis um and the importance of you know not making assumptions um and having really clear and you know connected communication so we really enjoy chatting to cassie and i hope you enjoy the chat as much as we did Cassie Flynn, it is so lovely um, to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited to hear about the breadth and the diversity of your experience. So to begin with, can you just introduce yourself um, to the people? Tell us what you do. Hi there. It is such a pleasure to be here. I am I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, and yes, my name is Cassie Flynn, and I am the Senior Advisor on Climate Change at the United Nations Development Program, um, which is a, a lot of words for saying um, I, I work on climate change day in and day out, um, both at the sort of political level. I work with a lot of world leaders. I work with heads of state um, sort of in these big discussions around the Paris Agreement. But then I also uh, head up a program that is active in over 100 countries to help them to fulfill the promises that they made under the Paris Agreement. So um, I have a bit of a unique role in that I, I, I get to merge together sort of this big sort of global level conversations with some of the stuff that's happening on the ground. Oh, that sounds very cool. And I just, when you said being in rooms with world leaders, I just thought for a second, like you must be like a fly on the wall and get to hear things that us us citizens can only dream of. (laughs) I, um, you know, I have to say it's, um, it, it, it's really been an honor and, and a privilege to be a part of this. And, And I have had many a moment where I'm sitting in a room with world leaders and saying, you know, pinch me because this is the room where these conversations are happening. And and to be able to um, sort of bring uh, the experiences that I have had sort of on the ground, the people that I've talked to, to be able to bring that to those rooms is something that I take really, really seriously. How did you get into this line of work? Um, Had you always sort of geared yourself academically to get there? Or was there like a moment that you sort of shifted away from something else? I grew up uh, outside of Seattle, and um, I knew from a really young age that I always really wanted to see the world, and I sort of used every opportunity I could um, to do that. And certainly one was when I was in school, in college, and I took that, uh, you know, sort of what a lot of students do, which is a study abroad program. And I essentially did this crazy program where I went um, to five different countries over the course of a year to look at the impacts of globalization. And um, and it was it was wild. It was, you know, you kind of live out of a backpack. And one day I was, you know, sort of fighting a forest fire in India. Another day I was with fishermen off the coast of Zanzibar Um, and I got to meet people and experience how connected the world is um that the the products that we buy you know when i'm living here in new york city 
affect other people all around the world. And I think that that was a real, a real moment for me to say, okay, I know that all of this, the thing that we have in common is the planet. And I really want to devote my work and my life to being able to help to um, protect that planet and to help strengthen the connections of, of people um, to the planet. That kind of moment of feeling quite um, almost really connected with the world, I feel like comes up when we speak about plastics, for instance, just seeing, you know, wrappers of, you know, the British supermarkets in, you know, um, you know, in Indonesia, for instance, because that's where we dump our recycling waste. For me, it was like that similar moment of, wow, we are one world. That, yeah, I think mine was probably, you know, the um, there was an ad a few years ago about a T-shirt. It's like a one pound T-shirt and it went into you know, who would have um, picked the cotton for that and the social justice around all of the garment factories and and how it ended up here. And that was probably my aha moment of the interconnectivity and, and, and how much we've got to do, you know, globally and global cooperation with this topic. I always think about that when, um, when I pick up my cell phone you know, all of the different pieces in the cell phone. And, um, and it's the same thing, what, what you both are talking about, that this, this moment of to have this thing in your hand, to be doing this activity, it, it, it didn't just arrive out of thin air and that it, it's, it's actually the entire world that, that comes together to provide all of this stuff that we just, we don't even think twice about in our, in our everyday lives. I'm stunned at how you do it all. You know, you you advise, you know, private sector, public sector, you know, small small activist groups, and then we've obviously, you know, the massive world leaders. You know, how do you, you know, navigate so many different dynamics? For me, something that is really important is to, well, two things. I'm going to say two. Um, is that you have to meet people where they are, and and this relates to the second thing, which is don't make assumptions about where they are. Um, because I think sometimes we can get caught in, especially when it comes to climate, that um, it can be so political and it can be um, really tough sometimes to have conversations because there's a lot of assumptions about where people are coming from. And, you know, we may assume that someone who, for example, works for the oil industry you know, is, is completely anti, you know, climate action. Right. When in reality, what they're thinking about are jobs. And mm-hmm. what they're thinking about is, is, you know, how can we ensure that, that people are not left behind if we do have this big, massive transition toward, toward renewable energy? And so what I really try to do is to, is to ask a lot of questions, to be very curious, um, and to not really make assumptions about where someone is coming from, um, and to ri- try to really unpack it and start start from the beginning, because I think that when we make a lot of assumptions, that's when we get that's when we get stuck, um, yeah. and that's when we just sort of say, "Well, you know, I I want to say my thing, I want to say my thing," and you're not really listening to where the other person is and and how the other person is thinking about this issue. Um, it may be completely different from, from where you. I'm are. really guilty of doing that. I think. Uh... We can all admit to doing that, especially when it comes to political division. Uh, And it's just not black and white. People are, you know, there's a whole spectrum of of views and beliefs. And what you said just then about someone working for an oil company, like, yeah, that that really resonates. The idea of not making assumptions, I think it's so valuable even for our campaigning here in the UK and just working with different communities and um, how you build bridges and how you build 
this, the wider movement that we need. Um, and I think sometimes we can get stuck in our little bubbles um, or stuck with the people we think are on side um, and we just totally miss a whole segment of society that needs to be brought along f- to win. Yeah, I, I think this is critical that um, we need to we need to bring and be as inclusive as we can because, you know, we do need when it comes to the climate crisis, this is at our door. You know, we just a couple of days ago, uh, the WMO released a report saying that we're probably going to cross the threshold of 1.5 degrees um, in the next five years or so. And this is a really big deal. And and this report, you know, it, it, it's making the rounds and articles and it's it's pretty wonky, but it really stands for something that is is very important, which is, you know, the science tells us that global temperature rise needs to be capped at this 1.5 number. It, it, it's, it's a magical number. And the Paris Agreement negotiations spent a lot of time talking about 1.5 degrees and 2 degrees. And, you know, to hear the news now that it's not that climate change, the impacts are going to happen, you know, just in the future or even just in the next decade. They're actually going to happen in the next couple of years that we're going to cross a pretty dangerous threshold. Given that and given the urgency of all of this, we need everybody at the table. We, we really can't, um, can't afford to not have everybody really understanding the magnitude of this challenge and also the fact that we need global solidarity. We need everybody coming together in order to solve it. Yeah. And I think maybe one hesitation, and certainly when I'm just speaking to people who campaign is sometimes those conversations are really uncomfortable and they're really difficult to have. And you can feel quite almost inadequate being the one pushing that. And I, and I don't know if you've had almost in you know, a very like difficult and very daunting conversations, but have been like, at the end of that, do you know what, that was so worthwhile because it even moved us an inch closer to solidarity or collaboration. Yeah. Well, and I, and I'm always really reminded of, you know, someone told me this a long, a long time ago when it comes to marketing that someone has to hear a message eight times before they really absorb it. And I think about that a lot that, that it just, it doesn't take sort of just one conversation, but it's, it's a continued dialogue. It's, it's a continued set of conversations and helping people to learn because climate change is, you know, you say the word climate, you know, say the word climate change and, you know, people either get overwhelmed because they, they, they're not quite familiar with, with what it is. And there's a lot of opinions about it or, they feel like they have very strong opinions about it. Um, and people sort of get into their lane really quickly when if we just sort of slowed down just a little bit and said, okay, well, what what is your understanding of what's going on? Um, how and how do you think that we can help solve this? Have you seen a little bit of a, a pattern in the questions that you're asked and, and has that changed you know, over the last five years, as it feels like there's more of a, a collective conscience about, you know, the perils of climate breakdown. Yeah, when I, you know, it, it, it's funny when I um when I first started giving 
kind of presentations on climate change, I used to have a big PowerPoint slide deck and it had a lot of charts and graphs on it. <laughs> and it had a lot all the of all the numbers <laughs> and the lines, you know, you've seen all of this. And, um, and people would kind of nod and, and they would say, okay, like, okay. But and they would ask some questions. And then I think I reached a point where I was like, you know what? I'm I and this was dirt it was in a in a pre, mid presentation and people were kind of looking at me and 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 kind of glossing over where I think they they were kind of like just like okay okay get this over with Cassie get this over with and then I kind of threw it out the window and I was like well and I and I said everybody raise your hand if you like a bottle of wine and I said, you know, raise your hand if you like to drink a glass of wine, you know, during a dinner or all of that. And of course, you know, most most hands went up. And I said, climate change is going to fundamentally affect the wine that is in that glass you are drinking. And let me tell you how. And I ended up giving a sort of impromptu kind of discussion on climate's impact on wine. And I have never seen a room turn around so quickly um, from being, I think, quite bored and quite um, a bit unhappy to, oh, wow. Like, you're telling me that this air, this region of, of, uh, of wine that is very important to me um, is actually going to, you know, going to be greatly impacted and that means the thing that I, I use, the thing that I, I enjoy is going to fundamentally change. Um, and I think someone might be listening um, and really resonate um, with what you're saying, Cassie. But then they might also be like, Cassie, you're a strategic, strategic advisor. You've kind of got the skills to do this. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and just might be like, hold on. Um, can I just have some top tips? So really having those important and those difficult discussions with, you know, family and friends, um, you know, about the urgency of, of climate action and how, you know, now more than ever, it's important we do something. I think that there's, there's a few, there's a few things here. Um, and, and certainly, you know, I, I, I love the idea of people being able to sit around the kitchen table and talk to, uh, and talk to their, their parents and talk to their loved ones, because I, I think that this is also what matters in this conversation is that it's personal. And um, I was talking to a young woman who's in, who's in school. She's about to go to university. And she said to me, I really want to be a marine biologist and I want to study coral reefs, but I'm not going to do that because by the time I get out of school, there probably won't be coral reefs. Wow. And I, I was speechless and, and you can tell I'm, I'm a talker. So there's not many moments I'm, I was speechless and <laughs> I, I high five sister. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I was, I was speechless and I think that it's these types of stories and it's these types of perspectives that are so important right now. And, and I think being able to share that type of pain, that type of fear, that type of anxiety is really important because I think that people um, that, that aren't hearing that aren't quite understanding 
what the stakes are and aren't quite understanding that this actually is not something that we can sort of close our eyes and wish away or it's not something that can be it can be sort of dealt with at the at the 11th hour because that's just not how climate change works. The, the things that we're doing now, we see the impacts of years later. And we we need to know that the stakes are high, high now. And so I think people being able to be as open as they can about how they're feeling about that, I think is really, really important. Um, am I right in thinking that you're part of, is it Mission 1.5? Yes. Can you tell us a bit about that? Mission 1.5, I I can't tell you how excited I am about Mission 1.5. And um, and it actually came out of a moment where I was I was speaking with, with some world leaders and they were they were talking to me about how climate you know, create making decisions on climate change can often be very risky. I mean, you're talking about an entire, you know, retrofit of an economy. You are going to change everything. And for a politician, that can be a very intimidating thing. And, and they really need to know that people are with them as they take some pretty big risks for a country. And then I was thinking about, as they were telling me this, about how, you know, the number of people in the street over climate change is unprecedented. The, the, the thousands upon thousands and millions of people that, you know, before COVID were protesting on a weekly basis, the, you know, the number of people that were really talking about climate change as a crisis, the fact that, you know, even the Guardian, their editorial board stopped using the word climate change and they started using climate crisis because that's where we're at. And, um, and so I was thinking about this, this disconnect between, you know, the people that are really concerned and really scared and really want something to happen and the world leaders that are faced with some very, very big decisions about this, some, the biggest that they will make in their careers. And, and I was thinking, well, how can we bring these groups together? How can we have a global climate vote? And this is really where Mission 1.5 came to exist. And, and the idea is that anyone can go online um, and they can learn about climate solutions and then they can vote on what they think their government should do. And it takes place in sort of a, a unique way. It's not a traditional survey or anything like that. It's actually a video game. Okay, and I'm in. <laughs> and and the idea is that it's kind of like it's kind of like you know SimCity climate style where where you are the world leader you are the decision maker you get to decide and and you get to play around and you can say oh you know I want a coal plant or I want a renewable energy farm and and you get to see what happens to the world and you get to see and you're the goal of the game is to try to keep the global temperature below 1.5. And then when you're done sort of playing the game, you get to vote for real. You get to vote, um, you pick your country and you get to vote across six different categories, energy, farms and food, infrastructure, transport, and, and, and you get to say what you think. And 
what we're going to do is that we are working actually with a bunch of pollsters from Oxford University who are helping us to compile all of this information. And we, our goal is to put tailor-made reports to policymakers in countries to say, here's how people in your country voted. Here's what they actually want. And the idea is then that this can help to encourage, help to push world leaders as they need it when they're making these big decisions. Right. That sounds excellent. Global, this this sort of like yes. video game in the way that you're doing it, or is it just in the US? It's it's global. It's actually uh, it's available now in I think it's eight different languages now. Um, and you can you can reach it anywhere. You can go to, to mission1.5.org, um, word mission, M-I-S-S-I-O-N, number one, word point, P-O-I-N-T, number five, dot org. You know, that's where you learn and you play. And then at the end, you get to vote. And the idea is that we can sort of use gaming and we can use and sort of something that people are familiar with um, you can play it on your phone, play it on your computer. You don't have to download anything. Um, but then you can make your voice heard and you can really have a direct line to these policymakers, to these world leaders to say, here's how I'm envisioning my future. And that sounds great. I feel like I'm I'm going to start practicing my Simlish. So I'm ready for it. <laughs> Oh, very good. I have, um, I actually, I just have like one last question, which is a bit of a personal one, but you, you were speaking about being in, in rooms with world leaders and, and like pinching yourself on that. Is there one world leader or, you know, minister or something that's, that you've sat down with and been like, I genuinely believe that you're working for good and, and has inspired you and that we should sort of start looking towards as, uh, creating our own version of them. Oh, mm, that's a good question. Um, there are, a lot um, of world leaders out there that in particular are from vulnerable countries. Um, you know, I had a, a really, uh, I was so honored to, to work with the prime minister of Fiji for a couple of years. And, you know, when you are the head of a country that is a small island in the middle of the Pacific that experiences tropical cyclones that are category five, when you are experiencing all of these different things um, and you are so vulnerable to climate. And, you know, and I think that, that the prime minister of Fiji, um, other world leaders from, from small island states, they are really taking charge and they are really, really making the case that, you know, what is going to happen to islands is what's going to happen to the rest of the world. It's just happening in the islands first. And, and they are being incredible champions of bold action because they know that their survival depends on it and the world's survival depends on it. So um, there, there's a number of really, really powerful voices out there. Um, and so for, for people that are listening that, um, you know, the climate crisis is hard. It is hard to deal with. It is emotional. It is rough. But please don't give up hope. We can do this. It is solvable. You have allies. You have people out there that are listening. You have people out there that care. And please, please don't give up. Oh, what a way oh, to end. Inspirational ending. 
Cassie, we've come to the end. This has been so unbelievably interesting. I think I could speak to you for hours and hours on end. But before we end, can you let the people know where they can find you? Um, yes. So uh, on uh, on social media, you can find me at, at Cassie underscore Flynn. Um, I am, you know, Twitter uh, and Instagram and, and so forth. Um, you can always reach me there. So Fran, I think I'm still processing how inspirational that interview was with Cassie. Tell me your feelings. Definitely. Uh, like super personable, which obviously being a negotiator, I guess is, is just a key asset to have. Um, and like, so down to earth, you know, when you mm-hmm. sat, listen to someone and you're like, oh, that's your who I want to be. You're like the better version of me. <laughs> Just casually, yeah, just sitting with world leaders like it's her mom and dad. As, as you do, yeah. And I think that approach that she took when she was talking about the presentation and asking people about wine, um, what a clever and simple way to get people thinking about how climate breakdown would directly affect them. And I, I do, I know that, you know, having a glass of wine is is the least of people's problems, but it is that hook. No, I think you're right. I think that's almost my biggest takeaway is taking you know the climate crisis which is so so abstract so theoretical often um and bringing it into your everyday lives and making it so relatable to how we drink what we eat you know what we wear um and i think that's that's probably like the most important bit if we're having those really uncomfortable conversations and those difficult conversations we've got to make it personable yeah yeah, definitely. But um, Mona, own up. Have you have you started following her on Twitter yet? Um, I did. Um, I may have followed her, and I may have had a follow back. I'm not saying anything. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just well, saying we are, we're on the road to being friends. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. Well, um, to wrap this up, we do you want to talk a bit about the campaign? Yeah. So, I mean, in in the chat with Cassie, we spoke about the important need to build back better from, you know, the coronavirus. Um, And if you want to lend your voice to that, you can head to our website. So it's friendsoftheearth.uk forward slash climate change. And you'll find a petition to ask for a green and fair recovery so that when we build back from this crisis, it's to the benefit of everyone. Yeah, please go to our website and sign our petition and we'll see you guys next time. Over and out from us. Bye. Bye. Bye.